Okay. Put yourself in this scenario. You are in a beer garden with a friend or your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny. All you can see, for as far as you can see, is green grass and trees. There's a huge lake in this beer garden because the beer garden is in a park. It's a pub in a park. It's beautifully scenic. It's stunning. There's birds chirping. It's about 28 degrees and you and your partner have an ice cold cocktail in front of you. You've drunk a third of the jug of cocktail. When suddenly this man, six foot two, reasonably well built, blonde, short hair, handsome, me, basically, approaches and asks you this. Excuse me, guys. Hey, um, I'm celebrating. Can I get you guys a drink? Uh... What are you celebrating? <laughs> you promise not to laugh. All right, so I dropped my MacBook on a hard wooden floor. Screen up, no damage. So I want to put some good back into the universe and just <laughs> offer to buy humans a drink. Totally no catch. I'm happy to buy you a drink if you want one. My question is, what would you say? Chew that over. Yeah, compared to last week, which I was in... And ah, god awful mood. I'm 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 up with the I'm up in the clouds this week because I dropped my MacBook. I technically should be without a MacBook now. I should be confronted by a repair bill for several hundred pounds, but I am not because my MacBook survived the drop from three feet onto a wooden floor. And I felt in order to put some good back into the universe, I had to go out and offer to buy someone a drink. So we're gonna play the full audio in a bit. I'll tell you how I dropped my MacBook also. We're going to discuss whinging artists today. And please bear in mind, I am an artist. I have always considered myself an artist. But there's something I saw on Twitter from specifically actors this week that knocked me a little bit. And I want to see whether I was justified in my irritation. Plus, someone owes someone an apology. So... I'm going to address that in this episode as well. How are you? You all right? I've decided to avoid the booze this week. <laughs> I'm always concerned where people join this podcast. Like, it, I don't know, I've, the last three episodes I've spoken about booze and my booze problem, but it's tongue in cheek. I don't have a booze problem. My booze problem is specific to this podcast. I like to record each episode with booze, but I've decided slippery slope. So this week I have apple and mango juice from Morrison's one pound. Distinctly average, but not terrible. Can I ask you a question? Actually, I just thought of this literally as I press record. Well, a couple of seconds before I press record. Here's a, here's a question. Do certain foods or maybe all foods, do foods taste better when you're starving? The reason I ask that is because I am now staring at a 150 gram bag of Walker's Max Strong Crisp. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but 
I only discovered them maybe a couple of months ago and my introduction to Walker's Max Strong was their chicken wing flavour and it blew my mind. It I can't say they're not the best crisps I've ever had. They're remarkable. And I've just been devouring them for the last couple of months and I've, you know, I've been in no rush to try the other flavours because, you know, Nobody likes change. But I was in the supermarket the other day and their other flavours were on promotion. One pound a bag, bargain. So I thought, I've never been attracted to this jalapeno and cheese flavour, but I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. And I had some last night. I was, let's just say, underwhelmed. Hugely underwhelmed. And that was last night. Then a minute before I started this podcast... Now, I thought, you know what, I'm starving. I need to just quickly get something on my neck. So I've just guzzled a mouthful of these crisps that last night tasted. Last night, I'd say they were, I don't know, like a 4.2 out of 10. Then I just guzzled a mouthful and I'd say they're a good 7, 7, 9, 7, 9 out of 10. I was thinking, why, why do these taste different? These shouldn't taste different. I don't understand why they're nice now. Then I realised, well, you weren't really hungry last night. In fact, you've been a fat bastard because you just had your dinner and then you still had crisps. Does anyone else do that, by the way? Have crisps for dessert? (laughs) I don't know if that's just a me thing. Um, I suspect it is a me thing, but I also sometimes put crisps in the fridge. We'll talk about that on another episode. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I just had a mouthful and they taste nicer. So do, do crisps or anything taste nicer, dependent on how hungry you are. Hello? Oh, everybody's fucked off. I don't blame them, actually. That was just the shittest question I think I've ever asked. Never mind. So, I am still hungry, actually. I might get another mountain now. No, we'll save that. Tell me about your week, anyway. What have you been up to? Thank you sincerely for your tweets and messages following last week's episode. I left the episode about asking you whether or not I wasted your time and my time recording it because I was in a bad mood. I didn't have an agenda. I had very loose talking points. I was scraping the barrel. But as I said to you openly and honestly and candidly, my favourite podcast is whenever they have episodes like that, I generally love them. And I was curious and I'm, I'm fascinated by what makes a compelling podcast you know I'm still very new to this in the greater scheme of things and um, I'm fascinated by the psychology of why it is I can listen to my favorite podcast talking about nothing and I'm hooked so I didn't know if that's because they had some skill that I don't so I asked you was last week's episode any good and unanimously you enjoyed it and unanimous you all said unanimously that I enjoyed it but I don't know why so Thank you sincerely for sharing that with me. I always appreciate your feedback and it helps me out enormously. The good news is I have a full show this week because there's a lot to talk about and there's lots to share with you and should we crack on? Let's begin with an apology. Somebody owes somebody an apology. Listen, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I told you about my love of a BBC six-part drama series called Fake Heiress, telling the story of Anna Delvey, who swindled many people out of 
a huge amount of cash between, I think it was between 2011 and 2017. She was in her early 20s. She came from very humble beginnings in Germany. She completely reinvented herself, told everybody that she was the heir to a £60 million fortune and used that goodwill to just swindle cash. And it was an, it was a remarkable series. I loved it. I, I, I shared my love for it with you. I think it was two episodes ago. I encouraged you to give it a go. And you've overwhelmingly been underwhelmed. <laughs> the feedback I've got so far has been like, CK, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned. I, I say I'm stunned. I'm not stunned because I'm sure... You and I have discussed this before. I long since made peace with the fact that I generally don't gravitate towards the same stuff as the average human. And it's always been the case. So the fact I loved it, to be fair, I must have just temporarily forgot that that meant everybody else would find it shit. And mostly, you've not been impressed. The oh, the, the feedback has been manifold. A lot of comments have referenced the let's say wobbly accents because the series takes place in New York but the main protagonist is Russian born German raised and the accents from the Russian side of the family even I admit they were a little bit wobbly at times and you guys weren't having it and I I have sympathy with that argument it, they, the accents weren't terrible because the actors were obviously adopting Russian accents. I was like, yeah, fair enough, I can live with that. And some of you had issues with the fact it included dramatised scenes because it was it was fact-based, but they would reimagine, you know, Anna, who is the main protagonist in this, she's the main fraudster. They would reimagine what her adolescent years were like and they, you know, dramatise scenes that she would have had in school. I went into this series expecting that to really frustrate me, annoy me and piss me off. But bizarrely, for reasons I'm yet to understand, I actually really like. I, I liked it. I went along with it and it was refreshing to me. And I, like you, generally prefer things to be kept factual. But this was a little bit different and I disliked it. And I've been thinking a lot about why I like this series. And I genuinely think it's because, as we all know, you and I have discussed this before. I'm a huge overthinker and I'm somewhat plagued by overthinking, but Anna was void of any overthinking leanings. And I feel as though I was living vicariously through her, which I discuss in, a, in, in the interview that I released on my website today with the BBC journalist that researched and narrated the six-part series. I I was delighted that she was open to having an interview with me because you know I told her that I loved the series. And I'd love to have her on the website, and we had a we had a phone chat. It was great, and you can listen to that and read the interview on ckgolden.com now. But yeah, you guys have been hugely in disagreement. You've just you're not having it. You're not having it, and <laughs> amongst the reviews was this one. Hey, mate. It's only me. Um, I thought I'd leave you a little message to let you know what I didn't like. 
you know, I'm like, and sort of, uh, we don't agree on much stuff, but somehow we're friends. Um, yeah, man, I, I didn't actually like fake heiress, uh, although I can only admit to listening to about 23 and a half minutes of it. Um, but it was the beginning that put me off completely, if I'm honest with you. And it was the part where they kind of went, and this is obviously based on a true story, but, you know, we've made a load of bollocks up as well because, you know, who doesn't like a bit of drama? And I kind of thought, yeah. Who needs to fucking add any shit to a good story? It's like, if it's a good story anyway, it doesn't need any dramatization. And that whole thing between going, well, what was real and what isn't real? uh, I don't want that to be the question. And that was my question. So, fuck it. Is it me or does my mate Mark have the best camp voice? Is it? I don't know. I've never heard him do that voice before. I was... I was stunned by how authentic it was. Yeah, he's a married straight man, allegedly. But that was my mate Mark, who, to the astute amongst you will know, Mark does my voiceovers. He is a beast, and he does the voiceover for CK's Crummy Book. And yeah, Mark shared his opinions. He wasn't impressed. And... You know, as I said, in terms of what he pinpointed as being an irritant in the series was the fact that you never knew what was, this is his opinion, not mine, I don't agree, you never knew what was fact and what was fiction, but I felt the lines were very clear, very distinct and obvious, but maybe he's just stupid, I don't know, but you know, ultimately I'm in the minority here because I recommended something to you guys, you weren't keen you let me know. And because of that, I think an apology is necessary. So grab a pen and a piece of paper or just open the notes on your phone. And I want you to make a note of my email address. All right. I want you to write down ck at cksolding.com and Send me an email and in the subject line, just so I know that this is relating to this apology, can you just write, hey CK, I apologise, I realised I have shit taste in dot 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 and then just write the year that you realise you have shit taste because I think once we know when it started, then we can then we can work on it, you know. I would argue that if you realise you have shit taste, like, you know, 20 years ago and you've not done anything about it yet it's probably too entrenched and I don't know that I can do anything about it but you know if you've only just realized in the last you know year or last few months then you know let's work on that together so email ck at cksolding.com subject line hey ck I apologise, I realise I have shit taste in dot, 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 just let me know. And then together, we'll, let's let's work through it together. But on my website is my interview with Vicky Baker, BBC journalist and narrator of the six-part audio drama. If you're yet to indulge, you can just type into Google, fake heiress, BBC, just devour all six episodes. Each ep is 30 minutes. So it's super snackable. I'm a massive fan and I'd love to know where you sit on this. Are you with me or with the shit tasters? 
I wonder if you and I can talk about my MacBook. Hello, babe. Hello. Look at you, little beautiful thing. Look at you. I tweeted. I tweeted something this week. Let me just let me just get it up. Uh, get my tweet. This is what I tweeted on the eleventh, which I think was Friday. Yeah, this was last Friday. And I tweeted, is anyone anti-Apple? I understand. I've never had an iPhone, but my best mate gave me a MacBook 12 years ago. I had a decade of no issues. He gave me another this year. I just dropped it on a wooden floor from three feet, screen open. No breaks. I'm still not an Apple boy, but worth noting. You and I have discussed my mate Carl before, haven't we, in a previous episode, how he's given me two MacBooks in like 10 years and I just love him to death. Not because he's a nice person, but because he gives me technology. And he is, he is I, I don't know that I've ever met a nicer human being than Carl, to be fair. I'm privileged to have him as a bestie. But it's an added bonus and it gives me stuff. So the last two MacBooks have been courtesy of Carl and I dropped my MacBook a week ago. I almost, I don't, they do, forgive the cliche, but they do say that life... <laughs> life plays out in slow motion during a trauma don't they and i can't say that didn't happen remarkably despite the fact that my screen was open all that happened for that brief moment of dread was it just froze like my, my mouse and the trackpad not, it, nothing was happening um but at that point i was weirdly okay with that because I thought well hang on a minute how is this screen not cracked in fact how is this screen even still attached to the rest of it this should have just this should now be in three bits but it was in one bit no crack no hairline fracture just a frozen screen so I was slightly aroused by that to be fair and I forgave it of the freeze and I thought you know what best thing <laughs> we've all done it just switch it off and switch it on guess what <laughs> Switched it off, switched it on. The bad boy was all good. And I was stunned. So I tweeted that. And I had some people talking about their affinity or allegiance for Apple or not so. Not everybody's into Apple. But one guy, Tom, said, um, I wanted a Mac for years just because of the build quality. And then we, we were having a bit of a conversation and I said, I'm going to buy random people coffees all week to put some good back into the universe for saving my MacBook. I don't even, I don't necessarily know where that thought came from, but it's true. I just thought to myself, if the universe is shining down on me today and I don't have to fork out hundreds of pounds for A, a repair or B, a new Mac, then I think we should celebrate those wins. I think we have a moral obligation as decent humans to celebrate those wins and rather than just thanking the thanking thanking the MacBook Angels. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we need to do something a little bit more profound. So I thought, you know what, it'll be nice. And let's be honest with you, it's it's very much within my wheelhouse to do something fun with random humans. I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go out and I'm gonna offer someone a drink. And as I said in that tweet, I was gonna do it every day for a, I was going to do every day of the week and just go out and ask people but that idea soon bored me so I did it once I did it one afternoon this weekend I went to my local pub which is a beautiful it's a beautifully set pub in a park 
and as I detailed in the opening to this episode, it's set in a park, green fields and trees everywhere. It's a huge lake it looks out onto. It's almost a perfect setting. And that afternoon, the beer garden, I think there are about 10 tables, three of them were occupied and it was two people sat at each. It seemed to be like a couple's afternoon because I was couples sat at the three tables. And due to my laziness, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to approach the closest table. It was a young couple. I would say early, early 20s. And let's see how that played out. She's got a denim jacket. And he has a blue coat. Their their drinks look relatively full. But they look young enough to appreciate someone offering to buy them a drink. So I might try them. Okay, let's give this, let's give this a go. Hey, um, I'm celebrating. Can I get you guys a drink? Uh, what are you celebrating? <laughs> you promise not to laugh. Go on. All right, so I dropped my MacBook on a hard wooden floor. Screen up, no damage. So I want to put some good back into the universe and just <laughs> offer to buy humans a drink. Totally no catch. I'm happy to buy you a drink if you want one. Uh, you can yeah. even come with me to the bar to make sure I'm not putting anything dodgy in it. But honestly, it's my shot. What would you like? Yeah, absolutely sure. I, I'm one of those weird guys. I like to put stuff into the universe if I get nice stuff. So, um, my name's CK, by the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what would, you like, what would you like to drink, mate? Uh, I think I'm going to be alright. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sure there's more than. I don't know. I'm sure there's more than people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I saw yours was relatively full, but I thought I'd yeah. ask anyway. Cause, cause, no, well, no, it's a very nice offer. Well, yeah. listen, enjoy the rest of your day anyway. <laughs> I didn't know what to... Listening back to that now, I have a different opinion to how I felt afterwards because at the time I thought... Because she... I have no idea what those two humans were called. Let's call her Beth and him Mark. As you could hear, Beth, super, super giggly. She thought it was fun, albeit we don't know whether that was awkward laughter. I think I have to set my ego aside and think it might've been awkward laughter, but it didn't necessarily sound that way. And she seemed quite accommodating and fun and open to it. She even went, oh, are you sure? Whereas Mark, did I say Mark? We were going to call him. I think I did. Whereas he was like, what do you mean? (laughs) It was like, like, I remember at the time thinking, mate, why don't you just stand up and piss on your bird? Because this is territory marking. Um... But listening back to it now, he was actually, he was like, oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's a nice offer, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I didn't necessarily, you know, in the moment, you sometimes miss things. I think some, I heard there's a technical term for it recently and I was fascinated. I think it's called auditory fail. I wish, I wish I had this, the, the full description with me now, but sometimes, usually during times of stress, certain senses are diminished in order to heighten others. And I was stunned. I was like, that makes so much sense. But how has no one ever told me this before? So sometimes you might miss auditory because your other senses need to be heightened. And 
sorry, I don't have the exact situation or scenario where that came to me, but not not important. At the time, I didn't hear him saying all the stuff like, oh, well, I'm sure you could find someone else or that's a nice offer. It's only listening back to it now with you that I'm thinking, oh, actually, he wasn't a total tool. So in his defense, actually, he also had, you know, they had a big jug of cocktails in front of them and they'd only supped like a third of it. So it makes sense. Maybe if they only had dregs, and for my non-UK listeners, dregs means like, well, in the context of cocktail, just like the spit at the bottom. <laughs> so if they only had dregs, maybe you'd have said, damn right, yes, mate, we'll have three jugs of cocktail, please. Thank you very much. But that said, Beth was up for it. Despite... Sorry, guys, I hate when I don't put my phone onto airplane mode and you get text message sounds because I know if you had earbuds in, it's deeply annoying. My apologies. Let me put this into airplane mode. There we go. So I was interested into in, in Beth being open to the to the cocktail despite having a full jug, but nope, Mark spoke and Mark spoke firmly. We will return to my attempts to furnish someone with a free drink later on in the show. But for now, I want to talk about, as my attempts to buy people free drinks began on Twitter, let's return to Twitter because it's been an interesting place for me this week because it's given me an opportunity to explore the mindset of artists. I don't know if you're an artist, but you don't necessarily have to be an artist in order to help me figure out this out. I am a huge fan of a podcast called The 98%. It's a podcast created and presented by two young British actresses and they are very much job jobbing actress, actresses. You know, they go many, 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 many months without a job, sometimes, you know, a year or more. And they're, you know, they're super ambitious, but they decided to set up a podcast called The 98% because apparently only 2% of actors earn a living exclusively through acting, leaving 98% that have hustle jobs, side jobs, waitressing, office work, whatever. So that's why it's called the 98% because it's targeted and aimed at the vast majority of people who aren't making their income and living through acting. And they tweeted, by the way, before I begin, I, you need to understand that I think I love the podcast. I don't even know why I love it so much because I'm not an actor. I have no great ambitions to be one either, but I don't know. I just think it's a really great podcast. And they tweeted this this week, and I want us to work through it because I, I reflected on what they tweeted, and it just seemed a little bit whingy to me. And I'm going to explain why it seemed whingy. So this is what they tweeted. Oh, God, I'd almost forgotten that absolutely anyone can act. And it's a nice little hobby for famous people to do, dip in and out as they please. Thanks for the reminder. So the reason they tweeted that is because apparently a TikTok influencer called Addison Ray will star in Miramax's gender-swapped She's All That remake. Now, I've never seen the She's All That original, but... Apparently, there is such a film called She's All That. And this TikTok influencer, who by all accounts has an obscene, and I mean obscene, number of followers on TikTok. I think it's something like 30 million, three zero million TikTok followers. She's been cast in the lead role 
of the She's All That remake. So the 98% have tweeted their... their disillusionment at a non-actor being cast in an actor's role. So some of the replies that they received to that tweet include... Don't even get me started. This kind of technique has backfired so many times. Yet here we go again at the exclusion of talented, hardworking artists. And this guy's put infuriating. Real actors should boycott these producers. If only people cared. And this person said, this really pisses me off. There are thousands of highly talented, trained actors out there doing nothing right doing nothing right now and this girl lands a role for being fit because essentially that's what it boils down to not okay why is acting the only art form every bugger thinks they can do that annoyed me for a reason which i'm going to explain in a minute but this is my reply to her saying why is it acting is the only art form every bugger thinks they can do i replied i just i just sent her a list basically Pop star, radio DJ, TV presenter, voiceover artist, stand-up comedian. I assure you acting is not the only profession every bugger, in quotation marks, thinks they can do. And she didn't reply. Maybe that's because I was right. I, you know, you know what annoyed me about that comment, though? And I don't, there's no technical term for this, so I've invented my own term. I call it professional posturing. And I hear it a lot, specifically in stand-up. If you ever hear a podcast by stand-ups, you'll not have to listen to too many episodes before one of them says, stand-up is the hardest job in the world. It's like, fuck off. Honestly, professional posturing is something that's always bugged me. Why can't we just all have our lanes, have our disciplines, have our art forms within which we are great and talented and just concede that it is what it is. We're doing our thing. We love it. We're great. It might be taxing. It might be challenging, but it's not any more challenging or any more taxing than anybody else's. And this professional posturing drives me insane. So I remember when I used to do, when I was like, you know, when I spent three years being paid to photograph humans there was quite a bit of it in there. Like photographers just thought like they were the dog's bollocks and I I never got it. And I'm not going to lie. Like I was, I'm an awesome, I'm all, I can take an awesome photo. Um, but I it just working as a photographer was never anything that I hung a, he hung an ego when I wasn't bothered. I actually found it quite boring. I just enjoyed hanging out with, with people, but professional posturing drives me insane. And when comedians say, it's the, it's the hardest job in the world. I'm like, right, let me explain to you how much it annoyed me when I was thinking about this, recording this episode. I actually thought, well, hang on a minute. Because I was recently listening to a, a, a comedy podcast and someone did say that. And then I just typed, this is what I typed into Google. You can type this into Google with me as well if you want to. Because you'll probably get the same search result i typed into google what do you call people who clean up dead bodies because i knew that it was technically a word for it but i couldn't remember i wanted to talk to you about it so i put into google what do you call people who clean up dead bodies and then (laughs) search result one is from an, an american newspaper called the metro and the title is the dirtiest job meet the guys who clean up death now before i read the opening paragraphs to this article can i just warn you that this is quite this is quite dark so this might not be the 
this might not be your ideal listening. These first few paragraphs, you have been warned. Now, have a listen to this. I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name. Bill Chiachio. It's spelled C-I-A-C-C-I-O. So I'm going to go Bill. In fact, let's go for Bill Chiachio. Bill Chiachio pauses between bites of his turkey and cranberry sauce sandwich to talk about the dead woman on the toilet. Chiachio, 35, works for Aftermath a company that specialises in trauma cleaning and biohazard removal, which is a nice way of saying they clear up dead bodies. These are the guys who get called to clean up the scene of a homicide or remove a body that has been decomposing for weeks. Siachio is recalling a particularly... My screen keeps moving. Siachio is recalling a particularly gruesome anecdote. An elderly woman has died while on the toilet, he said. The body has been there for several weeks. Gravity, during the interim, has taken over. The bowel is now filled with a mound of innards. Siachio's crew spray the area with disinfectant. The mound then starts to move because of the number of maggots in it. An attempt is made to flush the toilet. It starts to overflow. The shut-off valve is located behind the toilet. One of his colleagues places his hand on the toilet seat to reach the valve. The seat breaks. The guy goes shoulder deep into a goo and lets out an almighty squeal, said Siachio, a field supervisor for the company. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> just, just imagine for a second. Let's just imagine the the unimaginable scenes that these people see. I mean, forensic examiners, crime scene examiners. Just imagine. Look, I did stand up. for. T- it's like, is there anything you didn't do, CK? Never worked in porn. Bucket list. Right. So let's I did stand-up, right? Now, I am not sitting here and telling you that stand-up is not without its anxieties. Of course it is. Jesus Christ, I was shitting myself often. It is littered with anxiety. Like, uh, fear of being shit, right? And when you are shit, it's very difficult to get back on stage. But I would argue that never in the history of time has one of these biohazard... What are they called again? I'm, I'm looking where, where it said, what, what the description of what it, yes, biohazard removal operatives. I'm guessing the people that clean up dead bodies have never gone home to their partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, revealed the traumas and the unimaginable scenes they've seen that day, only for their partner to say, oh, well, at least you didn't have to say things in a room. I mean, I don't wish to belittle stand-up, but I like to break things down to their lowest common denominator. And stand-up is saying things in a room, albeit crafting what you're going to say, spending hours, days, weeks, often months over the perfect set. I've done it. I've not done it at a professional level, so I suggest people that do have put in significantly more sweat than I did. But you're not tidying up balls, maggots and innards. Can we just agree? So the next time you hear a stand-up comedian saying, it's the hardest job in the world. (laughs) I want you to think about balls, innards and maggots. And maybe send them a picture just to give them some context. Massive tangent. I want to go back to that tweet. So I decided what I was going to do was tweet these people. 
and I tweeted them my honest thoughts. And I'm not going to read it all because, to be honest with you, I'll be here all day. But this is what I said in a nutshell, and I'm reading sections from my tweet to them. Playing devil's advocate, I wonder if there's an argument for real actors, in quotation marks, broadening their attractiveness to casting directors by embracing the vacuous world of influencers. It seems to me like the tide of movie studios piggybacking off an influencer's audience isn't receding anytime soon. So fighting against it feels curiously futile. Airing this content is, of course, an actor's right. But moving forward, will the shrewd actor not be the one who betters his or her appeal by cultivating an audience outside traditional acting? Okay, look, let me just distill my, why I was so irked by that tweet. I just think that complaining is the easiest thing anyone will ever do. And by the way, as an artist, I complain a lot. But as as you as we've discussed in recent episodes, I'm trying to get better at questioning my immediate response to any given thing. It's called metacognition. Google it. It's fascinating. It's my, it's, I think metacogn- metacognition is my thing of the year. I'm fascinated by it. So whenever I have, I have an emotional response to anything, I'm always questioning it. And in all honesty, Prior to metacognition, I might have actually not even bothered replying to that tweet because I would have agreed 100% to them. But I just think, now I'm aware of our first thought and our first response and questioning, I thought, well, hang on a minute. Complaining is literally the easiest thing anyone can ever do. I can't think of anything easier than complaining because let's look at the alternative to that tweet that the actors sent out. The alternative to that is for them to think, okay, Seemingly, the current trend is for influencers to be getting the opportunities that we traditionally got. So I guess I should consider becoming an influencer. So how many followers has this Addison got? Oh, she's got 30 million. Okay, so I need to get somewhere close to that. Let's just let's just take 10% because trying to achieve 30 million is a bit nuts. Let's just give myself a target of 3 million followers on, on social media. Okay. So how do I, okay. I want 3 million followers on social media. So what I need to do now? Okay. I need to, I need to figure out a thing that's going to be my little thing. That's going to be fun on social media. I need to figure that out. Then once I've got that, I need to start doing it and I need to do it for months to be fair. I'll probably have to do it for a few years, actually do it for a few years to, 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 to build up traction. Although if I can go viral, I might not, if I can go viral quickly, maybe if you, okay, so I'll do it for a few months. So I'll figure out a thing, then I'll do it for a few months. Then I'll keep on doing it every day. And I'll keep on doing it every day until it goes viral. And then once it catches fire, then I'll continue doing it. So maybe I'll have to do two a day, actually. And then I'll just keep on watching those numbers jump from zero to hundreds, to thousands, to tens of thousands, to hundreds of thousands. Fuck, I'm at a million. I'm at a million. Okay, I'm going to keep on doing this. I need to keep on doing this. I need to keep on finding new, inventive, cool stuff to do and to capture an audience and to make people interested. I need to do that and keep on doing it. Okay, so I need to do that. Before you've even scratched your ass, right, you've been agonizing over what to do. Weeks have passed. You've not even put out one video. Is my point clear? <laughs> it's so much easier to just fucking whinge, put a tweet out there, then go and watch Emmerdale. And this is just the look, right? Do you think, do you think that I put out content like 61 Hugs and 
seven part series like the bench and these interviews on my website do you think i'm doing it for my own health honestly i'm doing it because i love it i'm doing it because it scratches my creative itch which if i don't scratch i'm an irritable little bastard as i was last week but guys to be honest i'm doing it because i love it because i have scratched the itch but also because i'm a creator and i want to continue creating and i want creating to be my thing so i have to create content that engages people that interests people that captivates people that entertains people that amuses people that moves people inspires people i have to keep on doing that and i just made peace with the fact that that's the case and if you want to be if i want to be honest with you like i made peace with that like 15 years ago 15 years ago and here i am still doing it would it not have been easy for me to just whinge on facebook Hmm? whinging and complaining is the easiest thing and guys it's not easy sometimes i want to just pack it in but i don't know i guess the older i get the more i'm and i'm i'm guilty of this you know but i wouldn't necessarily publicly whinge i just keep it to my sorry ass self and to be honest this isn't new using influencers so here's my question to you and it's a very simple question right should there be a distinction drawn between art and commerce? Because nobody ever really whinges when a famous person is used to shift shampoo, for example. Nobody whinges and says, oh, why, why are you giving that famous person that shampoo art? Nobody complains. It's just, it's just it's, within the parameters of commerce, it's just a given that using fame, using influence is synonymous with commerce. Right. So should that be any different within the arena of art? Suddenly, do we have the luxury of being pious when it comes to art? Should we not be mindful and sympathetic to the need to generate cash from art? Yes or no? Because we all agree that nobody's going to whinge if a famous person's used to shift shampoo. Should that not apply to a leading part in a film? Who's going to shift more tickets? Who's going to put more asses on seats? And furthermore, leveraging an audience, it is not without an upside. If that film's a massive hit, more money in the pot to make another film. More money in the pot to make another film, hire more actors. I don't know if I'm being depressingly simplistic here, maybe even naive. I don't know. And as an artist, you'd think I'd be on the side of the actors and I'd be saying, no, grassroots. And I'm a massive fan of grassroots, but that's because I'm in the roots. If I was a studio executive, I would have huge sympathy for the grassroots and I'd want the grassroots to do well, but I'm answerable to a very specific set of people, <laughs> right? And I need to bring in the cash. So let's not forget by the way i always like to drop this in whenever i can let's not forget that in 2018 i auditioned for hit us series black lightning i've discussed this in a previous episode i i, I was invited to audition for the lead villain i've i have no acting experience but i i was invited to audition i did the audition thought i was shit remarkably i was called back and Ultimately, the role went to a guy with a big audience. He's a rapper, and more critically, he knows Snoop. So I can't argue with Snoop. So I am an artist who, for all intents and purposes, should have more sympathy with that tweet than I did, but I'm I'm genuinely curious to know your thoughts on this, whether or not it is whingy, or is it justified? 
Here's here's another tweet that someone sent about the same thing, by the way. She she started talking about Brooklyn Beckham. I don't know if you know this, but Brooklyn Beckham, David Beckham and Victoria Beckham's son, is a photographer shooting high-end campaigns for the likes of Burberry. I think he does some Calvin Klein photography as well. And this woman called Michelle said, it seems to be more prevalent in the arts, as in influencers getting big opportunities. It happens in my profession, photography. I remember when Brooklyn Beckham shot a Burberry campaign, despite not having any training. To which I replied, if his pictures were great, should training be prerequisite? She replied, with nothing. <laughs> she's not replied. So either she's thinking, who's this bellend? I don't even know who this CK Golding is, or she's thinking, good point. I would argue she's thinking very much the former. But I don't know. Like, if Brooklyn Beckham can take a good photo, and how does she know he didn't have any training? I'm sure he probably has had training. In fact, I'm convinced that he went to a art school. I think I read it somewhere that he went to a photography school. So she's wrong to begin with about having no training. I'm convinced that's absolutely dead wrong. But let's just imagine he didn't and he can take awesome photos. My question for you, genuine question, because I've always been fascinated by this, to be fair. If Brooklyn Beckham had no technical or theoretical training in photography, but could take great photos, is Burberry hiring him justified and fair? Genuine question. Send me a tweet on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Again, remember, let's just assume he has no training, but he can take an awesome photo. Is it fair and just and right and reasonable that he gets a Burberry campaign over someone who, for argument's sake, has gone through three years of photography school? Is that okay with you? Would you be all right with that? I would be all right with it, to be honest with you. I am fascinated, however, to hear your thoughts on that issue. As far as I'm aware, I've exhausted this particular rant now. I'm just, <laughs> I'm looking through like the, the the responses to that initial tweet about the Addison Ray getting the role. I could be here all day, but now I'm going to cut it short there. Send me a tweet, send me an Instagram direct message. Share your thoughts because I'm fascinated. Right, okay, look, let's, let's return to me trying to buy a human a drink. This is attempt two. Oh, by the way, just so you know, this second attempt was a table situated about five meters away from attempt one, Beth and Mark. So we're in the same beer garden. Let's have a look. Hi guys. Hiya. Would you guys like a drink? I'm celebrating. It's on me if you'd like one. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're offering, yeah. yeah thank mate. you. I'm absolutely happy to get you a drink. Um, what, what, what are you, you celebrating? You promise not to laugh? I promise. All right, I dropped my MacBook on a hard wooden floor. Screen up, no damage, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, fair enough, I get that celebration. Yeah, mate, listen, drinks are cheaper than a new MacBook, you're right, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. What, what um, yeah, a pint of Prava, please. Pint of Prava. Okay, thank you. you. What's your name? Dan. Dan, right, I'm going to be back with you drinking in a minute, mate. All right, All right one second. Cheers. What's your name, mate? I'm, I'm CK. Nice to meet you, CK. You too, Dan, one sec. <laughs> I'm listening to this now and I'm, I I can't say for absolute certainty that was I in your position, I wouldn't be thinking, fix! Clearly CK's mate. Look at CK pretend. <laughs> CK pretending he's ever seen this guy. He just seemed far too compliant, Dan, didn't he? Yeah, sure. Why? Well, you like, you just see, I mean, it's one thing to be compliant, but to have the level of buoyancy and zeal in your voice that this guy had just seems inconceivable. But I assure you, 
don't know the guy from Adam. And in fact, such was his openness to my drink offer that I thought, you know what, I can't just buy him a drink and piss off. So I asked him if I could join him for a little bit. And we had a very brief natter about his bad day. Thank you. Dan, I literally just left. I just left. No, it's yours, mate. Yes. <laughs> do you want to pick one? Oh, I don't mind. No. There you go. No, yeah. don't, mate. I just, I just left the house to just do this. Can I just join you for two minutes and then I'll get off? Yeah, yeah. That's all right. Thanks, mate. Well, you just bought me a pint. It'd be rude yeah, to no. say no. Well, I don't know about that. I didn't want to be presumptuous. I might, what's your name, by the way? Mariana. Mariana. Lovely to meet you both, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so, nice here's to MacBooks. Yeah, here's to MacBooks. <laughs> I'll cheese you as well, Mariana. Um, how's, your, how's your day been? All right. Well, I've just clipped someone's car in the car park. Oh, so your look hasn't been as good as no. mine. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was, I clipped it. I was like, oh, fuck, it's going to raise my insurance premiums and things. He's like, no, no, it's all right. I'll go through my garage. Just add me 50 quid now and we'll sort it. I was like, oh, all right, fair enough. Oh. So yeah, I, 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 did, I didn't know you, I didn't know the other driver was present. So he, he always, yeah, yeah, they he were present. Yeah, he saw me do it. <laughs> otherwise, he'd have ran. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Um, Dan, Dan's a stand-up man. Dan will not. Well, yeah, well no, because the number of people who fucking run into my car and just driven okay. off. Like, there's a big dip in the side of it where someone's driven into it and then just driven off. So, like, I know how annoying it is. Fair enough. Hanging out with Jan and Mariano was a joy. I I reckon in total we hung out for maybe twenty minutes. The time it took me to drink my pint. I was very conscious of not wanting it to be awkward. I definitely wanted to sit down and have a chat with them, but I didn't want to just linger. So I kind of downed that pint and left them to their lunch. And Dan, what what a guy, can I say? And I don't know how, how good the audio was, but ultimately Dan, before I met him, had a pang on his car in the car park he hit another car the driver got out Dan was panicking because he thought oh no this is going to put my insurance premium higher and the guy said don't worry about it it's gonna be 50 quid that'll cover it easily and we'll say no more about it so that was a really interesting encounter and I'll tell you what's funny is that was really innocuous in terms of just going up to two strangers and asking well four strangers I guess if we include Beth and Mark and asking them if they want a drink but I was wondering why I felt nervous going up and doing it it didn't really I don't know I'm only I'm only talking to strangers why do we feel this anxiety and that question brings me nicely onto this week's CK's crummy book CK's crummy book it's like a journal but Shitter. CK's crummy book is, as Mark, my mate, says, it's it's like a journal, but shitter. And it's my book where I write wisdoms as I learn them, hear them, see them wherever in my life. And they make a lot of sense to me. They give me inspiration, hope and optimism. And this week's comes courtesy of a guy called Andrew Huberman. Andrew is a professor of new professor of neuroscience. Should we start again? Andrew is a professor of neuroscience and lab director at Stanford. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of the Whitney Cummings podcast. Whitney is a US comedian, very successful. And she gets interesting people on a podcast. And this week it was Andrew Huberman and he talks about neuroscience, the brain, how it works, what it does to keep us safe, what it does to to move us forward, why toxic relationships are attractive to some people. So if you know any of those people who are always looking for drama in a relationship, Andrew gives a beautiful 
explanation which I've always sought and never found an answer to and he explains it wonderfully and he's and he, and he, and he speaks in a very accessible way so the idiots like us can get it so if you want to watch this episode it's on YouTube type Whitney Cummings Andrew Huberman H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N it's like in fact I'll not tell you how long it is because it'll put you off but you know get what you want from it so he had this to share, and this was what I entered into my crummy book this week. Mother Nature wired us. Mm -hmm. You know, the brain and nervous system are wired to keep us safe first before it wants to, allows us to be happy, yes. actualized, whatever the verbiage is. Yeah. We're it not designed to, sure. to be living in bliss. We're designed to survive. <laughs> That's right. We have a... Well, there you go. If ever you've, you know, why, why was I panicking over just going out and asking these people a question? And it wasn't like, it wasn't dread by any stretch. It was just mild. Oh, this is, oh, this is weird. But I guess there's no bigger fear than the fear of rejection for many people. Certainly me, I guess. And, you know, we are wired to be kept safe. So, you know, my body was saying, oh, no, rejection's not great. You might as well just stay at home, mate fuck buying someone a beer and this is me being very reductive and talking about it on a very simple level but you can apply that to anything you know if you ever want to make a big move in your life but you're panicking you're wondering I, I can't do it I can't and I'm kind of in that place right now fundamentally I guess the reason is that, that mother nature and or the brain wants to keep us safe that is its primary objective that is the job description of the brain to keep us safe so that made a lot of sense to me so I popped that into the old crummy book this week just for future reference and something to always remember that those thoughts of anxiety and mild fear aren't necessarily true or real it's just mother nature wanting to keep us safe and arguably there's better things to be found if we actually just step beyond that so i'm curious do you currently or previously or ever feel anxiety and does knowing that it's just mother nature wanting to keep us safe does that help does it make you think maybe this fear isn't justified it certainly gave me food for thought but that was this week's ck's crummy book as always beautifully linked by mark so mark as i've mentioned before is one of my mates and we've started hanging out a lot more than than we ever have in the past to be fair we now have like a monday breakfast meeting where we're talking about series ideas something that we can make and create together that can be a recurring thing and mark is a professional voiceover so he voices ads for radio tv blah 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 fucking blah and he i'm proud of him he's launching his own podcast episode one is out tomorrow which will be friday the 18th of september your support of his debut would mean a lot to both of us so here's mark's trailer for his podcast it's a quick 60 second thing and it's very cute involving his little boy have a listen to this no don't say that <laughs> uh, hello welcome to sizzle smoke that's my podcast uh, i this bit's where you men are normally sort of go oh and this is what i do on my show but i've no idea what i'm gonna do on this thing uh, frank what do you think your dad should talk to the people about? Uh, maybe like tell her she loves um um him and um, pro 
hopefully this um mug she kisses you and funny and who kisses me? Me. Oh, okay, okay. So I should tell people that you love me and that you like to give me kisses. Yeah. And that's why they should listen. Yeah. Well, there we have it. Sizzle Smoke Fridays. I wish I could tell you what Sizzle Smoke means. That's what Mark's podcast is called, but, and I quote, I like weird names, is what he told me when I asked him why it's called it Sizzle Smoke. But you can guarantee, knowing everything I know about Mark and his fascination with the human brain and the mind and his overthinking and his ADHD, you can be guaranteed he's going to be talking about the life and times of his chaotic thoughts. And I'd love you to have a listen. I will be listening first thing in the morning. So set an alert to check out Mark's podcast and let's check it out together, shall we? Okay, thank you for listening this week. Always a joy hanging out with you. Homework for next week is thus. First and foremost, and most important, is your apology email. Email ck at ckgolding.com explaining why and when you started having shit taste so that we can you know, work through it together because Fake Heiress is a great series. And if it's not for you, there's there's problems that I want us to go through together. You're not alone here. So ck at ckgolding.com in the subject field. Hi, CK. I apologize. I realize I had shit taste. Dot, dot, dot. Let me know the year. Second bit of homework. Have I been unsympathetic to artists saying it seems reasonable and potentially pragmatic for the entertainment industry to have, let's say, concerns over their return on investment. And if a new film, if casting in the leading role an influencer means they are going to have an inbuilt audience, is that not reasonable? Or do you think no? Not at all. Not if she has, not if she or he has no acting training and or experience. Give it to someone who has with zero audience that has no inbuilt, that has no inbuilt audience. It's potentially going to bring people to this new project. Which side of that argument do you sit on? Give the role to the influencer or with a huge audience or give it to the actor or actress with no audience that has years of hard work and training. I genuinely am fascinated. I have sympathy with both arguments, but I do lean, even as an artist, towards the former. So where do you sit on that one? Send me a direct message or tweet me, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you wish. And finally, which would you rather do as a job? Option A, stand in a dark room and tell jokes. Or option B, stand in a regular room with a corpse. Easiest choice ever. 